Hey, this is Pastor Michael Petit from Calvary Chapel, Divine, Texas. Would really like to thank you for taking time to check out our podcast, our Sunday sermons, and our Wednesday night Bible studies. You can always share this, download it, or even find it on Spotify, Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, SoundCloud, and pretty much wherever you can find a podcast. You can also find out about our church service times. We have our Sunday service at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night Bible study at 7 p.m. We're located in the Market Media Building. It's located at 203 East College Avenue, Sweet C in Divine, Texas. Plus, if you need to get any other information from the church, you can do all of this at our church website at calvarydivine.org. That's calvarydivine.org. Here's today's teaching. All right, Daniel chapter 8. Verses 1 through 27. So tonight we're going to have a lot of symbolism that's going to be happening, uh, and and it's going to we're going to be dealing with a a, a a series of visions and dreams over chapter 7 through 12, and so we're actually speaking of the future of not only mankind and human history, but we're also going to be learning about the rebellion of man and the uh, established uh, end of man as far as the judgment and then the kingdom of of Jesus Christ. Uh, And so one of the things I want to share with you as we we look at prophecy, and just to remember that it's very accurate, it's um, again that question of do you believe that we pose this week. And in Isaiah chapter 46, verses 9 and 10, it says, "Remember, Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is no other I am God. And there is no one like me, declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purposes, or all my purpose. And so one of the things that I want to make sure as we go through Daniel chapter 8 and Daniel chapter 9 is that you have confidence in understanding the prophecies that have already been fulfilled and the ones that are going to be fulfilled in the future. Uh, one of the things that I love about the Bible is, is it's true. These things have happened. Uh, we, we have evidence of them happening. Um, we can actually prove that the Bible's true. And, and unfortunately, I was just reading something today, and we're going to go into that this weekend. Uh, this next generation, Generation Z, is that you? When were you born? So you're Generation Z. Generation C, they're expecting 43 million of y'all to fall away from the Lord. Yeah, it's, I'm serious. So how important it is us to, to reach the kids, the youth? This is why at Calvary it's very important Like for Teresa teaching the Bible. We teach, we're in the book of Revelation and then um, Isaiah, Jeremiah for the kids. They're learning scripture. It's not them just going in there. They're actually learning scripture. And, and uh, you know, this is where I wish I had video. I could show you little Grace praying, you know, to Jesus. And then she's, you know, little, three years old. And so this is how important it is for us to share the gospel and to bring them up in Christ. And we're going to be talking about that this weekend. But the thing is, is that the problem with Generation Z is you can give them evidence and they still won't believe it because they're running based upon their emotions, their feelings, and what is what they're receiving online. And so they're a generation that has grown up with these phones, these tablets that are attached to us, 
uh, and unfortunately they're being used by the enemy in a mighty way. And so uh, that's where progressive Christianity really stems from is because it's about my feelings. I need God when I need God. I'm good. I know I'm good. And I'm going to be in heaven because God's just going to let me in. And that's, that's the belief that they have. And it's, it's, it's not true. And so we need to be sharing the gospel. We have to, we have to get out and not only share the gospel, but, but disciple and to, to be able to sit down and explain the, the truth of the Bible. And in Psalm 75, verses 6 and 7, it says, For exaltation comes neither from the east, nor from the west, nor from the south, but God is the judge. He puts down one, and he exalts another. And that's what we're going to see in this chapter. We're going to see him putting down uh, one, one nation and bringing up another nation. Letting go of one king, and bringing in a new king. And so the things that we're seeing now, even in our, in our, in our daily lives today, you know, because you go, well, how is that person even leading? Or how is that person a prime minister, right? Or how can we have him as a governor and, and they're trying to pass a law where you can kill a baby after seven days? That's murder. And, and I agree with Jack Hibbs. If, if pastors don't start standing up, now, I'm not going to tell you how to vote, but I'm going to tell you what happened in the last election is a lot of Christians voted based on their feelings and their emotions and not on the Bible. And this is the mess that comes from it. And you see things like that in California that are being passed. And, and, and Jack Hibbs had every right to say they only had seven pastors that showed up. How many Calvary chapels are in that area? Pastors have to start standing up. It's not that we're trying to make political views or, or any of that stuff. But when we're talking about killing children seven days after they're born, it's murder. It's murder. Plain and simple. And so we see, and, and this is where God is trying to use us, is like you're here to be his voice. And Christians have gone silent. And, and so at the end of the day, we have to understand that it's God who raises up and God who takes down. We learned that back in Daniel chapter 2, verse 21. It says, he changes the times and seasons. He removes kings and raises kings up. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. Right? Gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He gives wisdom to wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. So when you go to vote in November, he'll give you wisdom of how to vote. And, and people need to understand that it's not just the, the, the presidential election that's important. It's the Congress, it's the Senate, but it's the local because we were watching something today. They're trying to put in uh, district attorneys that have no experience. They're going to continue to do what they're doing in Los Angeles, just letting people out of jail after they kill people. We have to start standing up and saying this wrong. God is a just God. We have to start praying for the Lord to get a hold of those people and wake them up and do the right thing. Job did the same thing when he was questioning God, but it's in, in Job chapter uh, 38, verses 1 through 4. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this uh, that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? 
Dress for action like a man. I will question you, and you will make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. And so he's letting you know the people that are in place right now, God has allowed them to be there and God can remove them. But the problem is if the Christians are not going to be on their knees praying for this nation, it's going to continue going down the, the toilet the way it is right now. We're in a tailspin. We're in the same tailspin that happened in the 60s, the late 60s. But eventually the Christians woke up and a Jesus movement happened. And that can happen again. And it can happen with Gen Z. Now, I, I'm not writing them off. Because, I, I, man, I, at the end of the day, I've, I've met a lot of youth that are just awesome and, and, and love the Lord. And I, I pray that they, they, they don't do what we did, where we kept our mouths quiet. We have, you know, I, I get frustrated with it too, just like y'all do. But it's like we need to go to God and ask the Lord to give us understanding, to give us the, the counsel of the, what, what we're supposed to do. But it's, I can tell you one thing, it's not, it's not voting based on your emotions and feelings. I, I, at the end of the day, it's like murder's murder. And we're not going to offer up our children to bail. And that's what the United States is trying to do. In Daniel chapter 2, verse 22, he says, He reveals the deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness. And the light dwells within him. He knows what's in the darkness. Stuff that he knows would scare us to death. He knows what's going on. It, we're just getting like the, just a little bit. God knows. So everybody who thinks they're getting away with something in Congress or the Senate or the, the administration, the governor's office in California or any of that, God knows. God knows what's happening. And he'll deal with that stuff. But I tell you one thing that we need to do as Christians is we need to be Christians that are on our knees praying. We need to be Christians that will actually go and start getting a hold of our congressmen and our senators. Because guess what? You can call your congressman and your senator here in Texas and tell them we're not having none of that foolishness that they're doing in California. We support saying no to the bill. We have to do that. And... The fact that we even have to sit and think, I'm going to kill a child after seven days? It's crazy. I'm going to teach a child about sex education at five years old? What is wrong with us? How come it's only one person standing up and saying something? Everybody in Hollywood's just chirping the Christians need to start opening their mouths it says it in the Bible what 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 it what is righteous and what is wrong and what God considers darkness and sexual morality and one thing that Teresa showed me this week and it's true if I was to sit and talk about sex at a workplace it would be sexual harassment but they're gonna let a teacher talk to a three and a four-year-old or a five-year-old or six-year-old 
and it's okay. The one thing that we get from this, this chapter is that we know that God is in control. And that's the thing that we have to keep going back to. We have to, we have to cling to God. We see that, that what we're going to get is, is Alexander the Great going up against the Persian Empire in this chapter. That's what we deal with. And he's going to have the dream that he had before with interpretation. This is going to be the first part of the dream. And so all of the things that are talked about actually happened. There was actually the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 A.D. Um, and, and Josephus, the historian, had talked about that. And, and then we, we also are going to read some points about... Um, about the destiny of the, the people of Israel and the troubles and the fortunes of Israel. Because people think that, that, and this is one of the things we'll talk about too, is that people think that the church is, the church is Israel now. It's not. God is still going to deal with the nation of Israel. And, and that's going to happen as well. And he's going to talk about that in this chapter, in chapter 9. Let's go ahead and read the first 14, 14 verses. I'll try to not make a whole lot of comment in, in between there. And then we'll go through the explanation of it the rest of the chapter. Because that's the actual interpretation. Because if not, we'll be interpreted in twice. So it, it says in Daniel chapter 8 verse 1, In the third year of the reign of King Balthazar, a vision appeared to me. Daniel after the one that appeared to me the first time. So remember the first time was the dream about the four beasts. And, and then it says, I saw the vision... And it so happened while I was looking that I was in Shushan, the citadel, which is in the province of Imam, and I saw the vision that I was by the river Uli. Now, Susa, or the, the city of Susa, is actually uh, called Shush in modern Iraq today. So it's a real place. This is very important because when you read the Bible, you're dealing with real people in real places. Alexander the Great, real person. You know, we're dealing with the, the shush, uh, the modern-day Iraq. And, and, you know, I was in Iraq, and I didn't even realize I was in all these places where all these stories took place because I wasn't a believer at the time. You know, and, and it's, it's amazing when you start looking at, at the, the geographic area of where all this is happening. It says, Then I lifted my eyes and saw that they're standing beside the river with the ram, which had two horns, and the two horns were high, but one was higher than the other, and the higher one came up last. I saw a ram pushing westward, northward and southward, so that no animal could withstand him. Nor was there any uh, that could deliver him uh, from his hand, but he did according to his will and became great. And I was considering, suddenly a male goat came from the west, across the surface of the whole earth, without touching the ground. And the goat had a notable horn between his eyes. And then he came to the ram that had two horns, which had seen standing besides the river and ran at it with him with furious power. I saw him confronting the ram. He was moved with rage against him, attacked the ram, and he broke his two horns. There was no power in the ram to withstand him, but he cast him down to the ground and trampled him, and there was no one that could deliver the ram from his hand. Therefore the male goat grew very great. 
But when he became strong, the large uh, was broken. And in the place of its four notable ones came out towards the four winds of heaven. And out of the one uh, them came a little horn, which grew exceedingly great towards the south, towards the east, and towards the glorious land. The glorious land is Jerusalem. And it grew up to the host of heaven, and it cast down some of the host and some of the stars to the ground and trampled them. He exalted himself as, as the high prince uh, of the host, and by the daily sacrifices were taken away, and the place of his sanctuary were cast down because of the transgression. An army was given over to the horn to oppose the daily sacrifices, and he cast the truth down to the ground. He did all this and prospered. Then I heard the Holy One speaking, and another Holy One said to the certain one who was speaking, How long will the, will the vision be concerning the daily sacrifices and transgressions of, des of, of desolation? To give a booth and uh, and the or to give the booth, give them both the sanctuary and the host to be trampled underfoot. And he said uh, to me, for two thousand three hundred days the sanctuary shall be cleansed. So that's actually twenty three hundred evenings and mornings, which is a little over six hundred uh, six years, is what it's talking about. So the first part of the dream is very clear. You have a ram and a goat, right? A ram and a goat, and, and we got four notable, notable ones that come out of that. But then it gets a little confusing as you get to the, as the goat destroys the ram, and the horn arises, and then it starts talking about the stars and prospering. Uh, and so what we need to do is we need to look at the second half of, the, of the, the verses where it actually interprets what all this means. And so in Daniel chapter 15, this is actually the interpretation. When Daniel, when I, Daniel, had seen the vision, I sought to understand it. And behold, there stood before me one having the appearance of a man. And I heard a man's voice between the banks of the Uli and called Gabriel, make this man understand the vision. Now, Gabriel, who is an angel, right? And, and there's only two angels that are mentioned by name in the Bible, the archangel Michael and the archangel or, or Gabriel. And Gabriel was the one who delivered the news to Mary in Luke chapter 1, verse 19. And the angel answered him, and uh, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring this good news. So we see that, that Gabriel is actually a, a, a God of uh, announcement. He's an angel of announcement that God sends, right? So when God's got a message to send out, he sends out Gabriel. And so he appears like a man, a ministering spirit. And so remember what happens, uh, you know, to Jesus as Jesus is being tempted in Mark chapter 1, verse 13. That's what angels are. They are ministering spirits. And it, and it says, and he was uh, in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. And he was with wild animals and the angels were ministering to him. Now, believe it or not, you have ministering spirits with you, angels that have been assigned to you. And in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14, it says, Are there are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? Think about that. You have an angel ministering to you. God assigns ministering angels to oversee the believers. And that's, that within itself is like, 
just blow me, blows me away when I look at Hebrews and you read that. So even when we're going through the craziness of our life, there's a, an angel trying to minister to you. And, and that, it's, it's just that's how much God loves us. They're a created separate being, right, from God. And, and so humans do not become angels. So you'll hear that all the time. People will say, well, oh, they're going to be an angel looking over me. No, they're not. They're separate. They're created beings, right? When they, when they, when they take their last breath here on earth and they take their first breath in heaven, they're not thinking about this world, not one bit. So you, you need to remember that. They're with Jesus. And, and that should bring comfort to us. Verse 17 says, So he came near where I stood. And he, when he came, I was frightened and fell on my face. But he said to me, Oh, understand, O oh son of man, that division is for the time of the end. So we know we just learned this past weekend that the women were afraid when the angel appeared in Matthew 28, verse 5. And so that's a normal thing for when an angel appears, people are afraid. Uh, it's the same thing with the shepherds when they, they appear to the shepherds. Uh, the, the Son of Man is a term that was given uh, for Daniel. And so the vision is actually, it's, it's, this is going to be 300 years later. So the prophecy that he's f talking about now is fulfilled 300 years later. And so what we'll see is, is we'll see the little horn is talking about the Antichrist. That's talking about the end. And so when we had spoken uh, to me, I fell to a deep sleep with my face to the ground. But he touched me and made me stand up. He said, Behold, I will make you known to what shall be at the latter end of the indignation. For if... For it refers to the appointed time of the end. Now, the appointed time of the end is talking about the tribulation, Jacob's trouble, the time of God's wrath, God's indignation. That's what it's talking about. We're going to be going into that next week as we look at Daniel chapter 9, but it's talking about the 70th week, the seven year the, that's broken up into three and a half year, uh, separate two, three and a half year uh, parts of the tribulation. And, and then it ends up with the revelation of the seals being broken, the trumpet sounding, and then the, the, bo the bowls of uh, judgment are going to be poured out. And the fulfillment of the very end is, is the return of Jesus Christ, who will judge the, the world. And, and that's, that's, again, he'll come with the believers. He'll judge those that chose not to follow him. So if you didn't choose to follow Christ, and your name's not in the book of life, your eternal address is going to be hell. And, and, and I don't think people get that part of it, that, that it's eternal. Remember when we talked about eternity this past weekend? That, you know, your life is only like this much, and eternity goes on and on and on. Think about that being hell. And there's different levels of hell, depending on what you did. And, and so, you know, that's a, it's... People think it's not real, but it is. I, I've seen people actually sit and mock somebody as they're giving the gospel. And I'm just like, man, Lord, please get a hold of them because they're lost. Praying for them. They need Jesus. 
And, and, you know, people came to know faith, but that person was sitting there mocking Christ. It happens. And we need to be praying for them. It'd be easy for us to get mad, right? Throw a rock at them. Hey, man, stop, bro. But it's like they need Christ. Stop and pray for them. Ask God to, because that kid had a pentagram, uh, Satan's pentagram on his hat. And I'm like, God, I need you to show up and be real in his life that he could not deny you. Like he, there would be no choice but him to go, God's real. And then at that, that point, he would have to make the choice if he's going to follow or not. And that's what we need to be doing. It, it's like at the end of the day, you see somebody cutting up in the store, pray for them. Ask God to show up. Ask some of those ministering angels to Hey, Lord, send some angels if you got to. If you got people that you love and you go, man, I have tried everything. I don't know how else to pray that God would send ministering angels to them. That they would come to know the, the gospel that way. However, Lord, send people, send angels, send your word. But just don't stop praying for them. Verse 19 says, uh, For it refers to the appointed time of the end, as for the ram that you saw with two horns, these are the, ki the kings of the Medes and the Persians. So the ram is the Medes and the Persian. Now the, the goat is going to end up being Alexander the Great. It's going to be the Greek army. And so the Medes are, are basically, they're part of the empire, but they're almost completely gone. It's pretty much the Persian Empire. And the Persian Empire was actually Iran, Babylon. See why we have so many problems there, right? And then Iraq, you have Iraq, you have the Persian, Persian, which is Iran, and then Babylon, which is Iraq. Those are the two. And then the Persians ruled the, the, the world, and, and it's been said that they had not just a, a, a hundred thousand or three hundred thousand in their army they had millions their armies was, was with millions and so the ram and the goat are squaring off who would you put your money on the ram it's got two horns right the goat only has the one but again what do we say god god gets rid of and god will bring in what he's going to do and, and when you see at the end of this why this is all happening, you'll understand. Verse 21 says, And the goat is the king of Greece. That's Alexander the Great. And the great horn between the eyes is the first king. So Philip is the king of Greece, and then the great horn between his eyes, the first king, is Alexander the Great. So Philip's son, Alexander the Great, ends up becoming the, the king. And it's precise. Uh, to the fact that it's, it's prophecy, and, and this, again, it, it can build our trust on the truth and the accuracy of God's Word. This happened, and when Daniel wrote this, it was some 300 years later, and the prophecies fulfilled. The goat, the kingdom of Greece, uh, the first king is Alexander the Great, and we know that the, the Grecian Empire, what do they do? They defeat the, the Persians. And how do they defeat the Persians? This is very important. Remember we told you Alexander the Great was said that he had killed himself. Right? And um, 
just so you know a little bit of background on Alexander the Great, he was actually, Aristotle was his teacher. And he was trained in, in war strategies and math from an early age, and then also instruments. He was, he was they, they made him learn about philosophy and, and understanding the mind. And so when he trained, he trained all the way from an early age up to the age of 16. At the age of 16, Philip gave him his own army. The generals weren't happy. But Alexander the Great, during one of the battles, actually changed something within the battle plan and destroyed the other, the other army. And Philip realized what was happening and gave him more to control. And eventually, Philip gets killed, they think by Alexander, or by someone within his camp. And, and Alexander takes over the, the army. So Alexander, from a young age, has been trained in battle, has been trained to understand war strategies. That's why he was able to goat, was able to defeat the ram. He was trained. God put all those things in place for him to be trained the way that he was. And all of this happens. He takes over the whole world before the age of 30. And so before the age of 30, he has full control of the world. And then what ends up happening is he drinks himself to death. He's not happy. There's nothing else for him to conquer. He has everything. There's no more wars. That's what he loved was fighting wars, and there were no more wars to fight. But why is it so important that this happened? This is the key. The Greek culture became standardized. That was one of the things that Alexander the Great made happen. He wanted the Greek language to be the language and standard for everyone. So what is the language of the New Testament? It was in Greek. It's a national language. It's a language that's it's known around the world, and, and that's the language that is going to send out the gospel, right? And, and so the next thing that happens is the Roman Empire, they come along, and what is needed for, for the gospel to go out? Roads, trade routes, shipping lanes. That's what the Roman Empire does. And Jesus comes at the perfect time, exactly when God needed him. And they call these the silent years of the Bible. Because people think, well, no, God, where was God at? God was working all these things happening. I love teaching this in the New Testament. When we do New Testament survey, it's the, it's the silent years. And it wasn't really silent. Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. It was the perfect time. God had set all those things up for his son to come. Verse 22 says, As for the horn that was broken in place, of which four other uh, arose for the uh, four kingdoms, we shall arise from his nation, but not with his power. So when Alexander the Great dies, and this is how exact the scripture is. This is what's crazy. There are four generals that are fighting for the nation. Four, four horns. So you had uh, uh, Ptolemy, I'll probably mess these names up really bad, Cassander, Sikilas, and Lesmichus. 
Those were the four generals. And eventually what happens is they, they get to a point where they can't make any movement on each other because Rome is growing. In the background, Rome is getting stronger and stronger. And so they decide, hey, you take that part, you take this part, you take, and that's what happens, the four generals, the four horns. And then so that they'll, they'll end up being defeated. In verse 23, it says, in the later end of their kingdom, so he's talking about the end of the kingdom for the four horns. When the transgressor has reached the limit, a king of bold face, one who understands riddles, shall arise. Now, some will say, and, and uh, they will talk about the abomination of desolation. Uh, what happens uh, with this is you have Antichius and, and, and Epiphanes, which actually his name means God manifest. Now, he, he is one of the under generals uh, of one of the, the, the areas in Rome, or not in Rome, but in Egypt, excuse me. The Roman Empire comes to that area and says, if you go back into Egypt, we're at war. You're, we're at war with Greece. And so he decides, I'm going to Jerusalem. And he takes over Jerusalem. And so his name was God Manifest. He wanted to be worshipped. And so Antichius Amphipanes was actually a Syrian. He, he came to the throne in 175 B.C. and ruled until 164 B.C. He was anti-Semitic. So people who think that it just happened when Hitler, the Jews have been dealing with persecution all this time. All this time. He assaulted Jerusalem. He murdered 40,000 people in three days. Women and children. And anyone that he thought he could sell, he sold them into slavery. And he began those actions on September 6, uh, 171 B.C. And then, and then he actually did the, uh, the desecration of, abom uh, desecration of desol uh, abomination of desolation. Uh, on December 15th on, on 168. So he actually takes a pig and sacrifices a pig on the altar and then wipes the blood of the pig on the temple walls. At the same time, he pushed everybody out of Jerusalem. And, and so he forced the, the, the priest to swallow flesh of the pig which is, you know, for a Jewish uh, person, that's, they don't deal with pigs at all. They don't deal with any swine. So it, it, it was a horror for them to have to go through that. And so the abomination of desolation is what it refers to. Now, uh, people will say, and, and we'll get into that, but let me, so that, then you have the Maccabean revolt. So after Antichius and Epiphanes gets, he gets overthrown by the Maccabean revolt. Um, and, and out of the Maccabean revolt, you actually have a split that happens of the Jewish nation of scribes and Pharisees. See how all this has to happen? Before Jesus comes. It's, it's, it, I couldn't plan that out. <laughs> you know, it's God. It's God. And, and I, that's what I love about it. And they, they end up rededicating. They cleanse the temple. They rededicate the temple. And then, um, then you know, somebody had tried to, to, to from the day that the, 
the temple being uh, cleansed try to go, okay, well, that's 2,300 days, which are mentioned. And they did some math, and his name was William Miller, who was actually the seventh day of Venice. And he said that Jesus would return on October 22nd, 1844. And so he was wrong, so his wife took, when he died, because he kept changing the dates. So his wife took over, she kept changing the dates. It tells us in Scripture what, uh, what's going to happen. Matthew 24, 36 says, But of the day and the hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. So if anybody ever tells you this is the day the Lord's returning, you need to run from that person. And you need to tell them, look, it's in Scripture, Matthew 24, 36. I don't know where you, you need to rethink what you're trying to put out. People have written books on it. They've sold and made millions off of it. They're tricking people. And it's sad a lot of Christians have fallen for it because they don't understand Scripture. It's right in Scripture. I don't know why. why that, there's nothing confusing in that context of the Scripture. But my Father only. God is the only one who knows. So Antichius uh, is part of, but not the fulfillment of the Antichrist, which is going to come later, right? And so this is part of the, the issue that will happen is when people talk about this. We're still dealing with the Antichrist uh, that's going to happen in future events. And so he will declare the world that, is, uh, that he's God, and he must be worshipped. He will also make a covenant with who? Israel, and then break it. Did Antichius and Epiphanes do that? No, he did not. And so we know that this is only a partial fulfillment. There's still going to be another abomination of desolation that happens by the Antichrist. And, and it's going to be a 10, and we'll get into this next week, it'll be a 10. It's considered the new Roman Empire of 10, 10 kings or 10 dictators, and they will turn over their power to the Antichrist. The Antichrist will, grant, will make peace, Make peace with Israel, and then what will happen? He'll break it. And then the tribulation, where everything's in motion at that point. The church is not here when all this happens. And, and so we need to remember that. Now, some will argue that there's been full fulfillment of the scriptures. Some will argue that there's been partial fulfillment of the scripture. And so the prophecy of abomination of desolation will still happen. Uh... And that comes from different types of views. So you, you'll hear, and I'm going to give you some words, and you don't need to remember these. Just try to remember what they believe. The preterists, are, are, they believe that the interpretations of the scriptures regard the book of Revelation as symbolic picture of first century conflicts, and it's not a description of what will occur in the end times. They believe everything's been done already. Then you have a partial preterist, right? Now they believe in a moderate approach. That sounds like it's good, right? And they, they believe as, as a partial preterist that, that, uh, that they hold to the, the belief that the prophecies in Daniel and Matthew 24 and Revelation with expectation of the last two or three chapters have already been fulfilled. And were fulfilled no later than the first century A.D. They also believe that the, the passage of describing the tribulation, the Antichrist, are actually referring to the destruction of Jerusalem back in A.D. 70 with Antichius and Epiphanes. That's why I'm telling you these terms. Futurist view 
They base their premise on the majority of the prophecies in Revelation are still waiting to be fulfilled, and there's still a literal fulfillment that's going to happen. Right? And that comes from dispensationalists who actually literally believe in the interpretation of the Bible best on hermeneutics. Now, those are a bunch of big words. You don't need to remember them. But you need to remember that, that there are people who believe that everything that's happened in Revelation is complete. That's not true. There are people that believe that partial things have happened, which means, you know, like the, the partial preterists believe that, well, the tribulation's already happened. And that's not true. People believe this. And so you need to know what you believe. Right? So that's why I'm, we believe in hermeneutics. We believe in the context of Scripture. We believe that it does tell us that, that, that God still needs to deal with, his, his, with Israel. Right? With the nation of Israel. We believe that, that Jesus talked about his return. Talked about the Antichrist. We're going to get into all that when we get into the book of Mark. Towards the end, we'll do the Olivet Discourse, which talks about end times. And so even in Daniel chapter 9, we get more information about the Antichrist. So we know that there's still something that's going to happen. In Daniel chapter 9, verse 27, it says, Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. But in the middle of the week, he shall bring an end to the sacrifice and offering. This is the Antichrist. And on the wing of abomination shall be one who makes desolate, even until the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate. So remember the scripture. What did Jesus say was going to happen about the abomination of desolation? This is in Matthew chapter 24, verses 15 through 22. It says, therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. Understand when Jesus is saying this, the abomination of desolation with Antichius and Phippines had already happened. He's telling you when you see the abomination of desolation, meaning that it's still going to happen. And, and listen what he says. Standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. That's the desolation. Let him who is on the housetop not go to take anything out of the house. Let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant and those who are nursing babies in those days. And pray that your flight might, uh, may not be uh, in winter or on the Sabbath. For then there will be a great tribulation such as he has not been since the beginning of the world until this time. No nor, are, uh, no, nor ever shall be. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. So he's telling you this thing that's going to happen, this abomination of desolation is going to be horrifying for the Jews. He's telling you to get out, run to the mountains. Get out of Jerusalem. Now, 40,000 people killed sounds like a lot. It's nothing compared to what's going to happen with the Antichrist. It's a springboard. There, this is Matthew chapter 24, verse 15 through 22. is a springboard to future events. And that's why we need to make sure we understand that. Uh, verse 24 says, in, in Daniel chapter 8, says, His power shall be great, but 
not by his own power, and he shall cause uh, fearful destruction and shall succeed in what he does and destroy mighty men and the people who are saints. So it's like if, if, if you, you can still become a believer during the tribulation, but what's going to happen to you? You'll be destroyed. By his cunning hand, he shall make deceit prosper under his hand, and in his own mind he shall become great. Without warning, he shall destroy many. And he shall even rise up against the prince of, uh, prince of princes, and, and he shall be broken, but not uh, by human hand, by, uh, but by no human hand. The vision of the evenings and the mornings, that is, has been told to you, uh, told is true, but to seal up the vision for it, it refers to many days from now. And so he's talking about the Antichrist character. Now, in, in verse 23 alone, we see that, that the Antichrist will have a dramatic appearance, right? He's destined to do evil. He has demonic power. That wasn't Antichius and Phiphanes. You see what I'm saying? He's a dynamic leader. He has to be able to work in between all the different religions and different nations and got to get the, the Middle East and the Israelites together. He's got to create peace. He's going to be a dynamic leader. All of that's in verse 23. In the later time of, of their kingdom, when the transgressors have reached their fullness, a king shall arise having fierce features who understands sinister schemes. In verse 24, we see that it's destructive. His reign is going to be very destructive. We also know that it's deceitful in practice. His power shall be great, but not by his own power. And he uh, shall cause fearful destruction and, and shall succeed in what he does and destroy mighty men and the people who are saints. Catch that. Make sure you understand. But not by his own power. Revelation 13, 2 says, Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard. Remember, we read about this a couple chapters ago. Uh, his feet were like the feet of a bear and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. The dragon gave him his power, his throne and great authority. The Antichrist will receive power. Demonic. In verse 25, when we look at that, we see that, that the Antichrist is, uh, himself is disguised. He disguises his cruelty. And promises peace. But he's going to be destroyed supernaturally. That's not what happened to Antichius and Tiffany's. I don't know how many times I'm going to say that word. I'm sorry. But he died. How did he die? You know what? Antichius and Tiffany's actually had a, a bowel issue. And they said he was mad because of it. He had something going on. He had some kind of organism or something that was eating him up. He ends up falling off of uh, a horse or off of a chariot, and that's how he dies. That's not supernatural. So if you just look at the evidence, you'll see, right? And, and without human means. So Jesus takes care of him, right? In Revelation 19, verses 19 and 20, And I saw the beasts and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. Then the beast was captured with, with him, the false prophet who worked signs in his presence, that's the, uh, by which he deceived those uh, who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped the image. These two were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. And Jesus will 
return, and, and we talked about it. He comes to make war. He's the lion, the word of God. Uh, he comes to make war. They're, they're killed in the lake of fire. But those who are, choose not to follow Christ, who choose to be eternally separated from God, you know, their, their, their end comes uh, into hell. They're destroyed, right? The devil will come back after a thousand years. That's in Scripture. But they're going to be destroyed. There's a, so people who think that they're following something that's eternal is not. The devil has a, remember we talked about devils on borrowed time. He's going to be destroyed. Jesus won't. There's already victory. That's, that's what happened on the cross. Verse 27, uh, as we finish this up. And I, I, Daniel, was overcome and lay sick for some days. Then I rose and went about the king's business, but I was appalled by the vision and did not understand it. You have to understand, when Daniel gets the vision, he's seeing the vision of what's going to happen to Israel. And it made him sick, physically. And sometimes we get visions... Right? And dreams. And you'll wake up because they scare you so badly sometimes. And you're trying to figure out what it was about. And, and it can make you physically sick. It can actually, you won't sleep the rest of the night sometimes. And for Daniel, he saw something. And this is an 80-year-old man. <laughs> and, and, you know, and, and he's physically sick. And he's had other visions. In Habakkuk 3.16, it says, When I heard, my body trembled, my lips quivered at the voice. Rottenness entered my bones, and I trembled in myself that I might rest in the day of trouble. When he comes up to the people, he will invade them with his troops. Habakkuk would, would have to quietly wait for the day of distress against the invaders. God promised that it was coming. Daniel knows this is going to happen. And he's concerned. Remember, he was taken away from Israel. I mean, from Jerusalem. He was captured. And now he's seeing that this destruction that's going to happen to, his, to the people in future times. And he said, but I love this in verse 27. Daniel was overcome and lay sick for some days. Then I arose, or I rose and went about the king's business. But I was appalled by the vision and did not understand it. We'll get more information about that next week. This is my prayer for you is that you would be about the king's business. And the time that we're in right now, where you're like, man, what is happening? What kind of future is my grandkids going to have? Our youth. Right? Let's just be busy about doing the king's business. 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Remember, the sovereignty of God, even the sovereignty of God, is over those evil rulers. We don't know what's coming. There may be another Jesus movement that happens. But I can tell you one thing, it's not going to happen if the church keeps staying inside their buildings and don't open their mouths. 
That's one thing that I know for sure. If the church don't start coming outside the walls of the church and start reaching those that, that would never walk into a church, like that kid in a bar, and they had a lot of people come to know faith, the church would never be there. Let me tell you something. It's, it's time for us to understand, like, if God showed you what was going to happen, you'd freak out too. You'd feel sick. He only gives us what we can handle. But I can tell you right now, if, if, we, don't, if we don't start opening our mouths as Christians, and I'm not talking about just sharing the gospel. I'm talking about standing Standing and being steadfast in, in the wor- uh, word of the Lord. Being immovable, right? And abounding in the work of the Lord. What hospital is going to kill a child after seven days? Which doctor is going to do that? Think about that. What teacher is going to teach, my, my grandson's five years old, teach my grandson about transitioning and genitalia and mutilation. A five-year-old. He can't use the bathroom right. He, he paints the wall when he goes to the bathroom. Now you're going to teach him that? We have a lot of people here from California. You need to get on the phone with your family back in California and let them know what's trying to be passed. And then they need to be getting on the phone with their, their people, their Congress, their senators, and tell them, look, either you stand up or we'll get rid of you. It has to happen. It has to. At the end of the day, if it, y'all don't understand. Like, if, if we don't stand up now... It will spread across the United States. There'll be Michigan and all these other states. Georgia and all these states will start doing the same thing. Because California started it. You know New York will be the next one. And so Christians need to stand up and, and look, it, it goes against God's work. I'm not telling you to say, hey, vote for that person, vote for that person. I'm not telling you that. I'm telling you, take the word of God. Open the Word of God. Before you go vote, read the Word of God and go, well, that person's against abortion. This person's for abortion. Well, that person's a Republican, but he's for abortion. Can't vote for him. Can't vote for anybody who wants to kill a kid. Can't vote for anybody who's for transitioning to 18 and under. And won't vote for him. It, it's we have to start opening our mouths and and that's why one of the things i love that's happening here is with with the, with the churches here we're starting to get involved in the school board we're starting to get involved in the in the uh chamber of commerce we're getting involved in the city council we're there and we need to be involved in our community we need to save as many people as we can when I think 43 million, think about 
43 million. We need to we need to be busy doing the, the Lord's work. My last breath, that's what I want to be doing. I don't want to be sitting around not being busy doing God's work. And we need to we need to stand up as Christians and let our voices be heard. We stand for righteousness. We stand for God. We'll be examples of Jesus Christ, but I'm not going to I'm not going to sit in a corner and not say anything. And I know I, I there are pastors out there that are probably if they heard this they'd be like, "What are you doing? You've lost your mind. You lose your church." Ain't my church. It says, "He may remove me if I don't open my mouth." Then think about that. I'm not here to people please. I won't do that. Thank you so much. That was Pastor Michael Petit from Calvary Divine, Texas. Remember, if you need to get more information on the church, you can do that at calvarydivine.org. God bless.